1: We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code Charlotte Reader, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things, too. But enough with the prologue, let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Jackie Castle, author of The Seclusion, a timely dystopian thriller which showcases the danger of totalitarianism in America in the year 2090. It was the Ford Indies Book of the Year award winner in science fiction and the winner of the North Carolina Author Project, when best friends Patricia Patch and Rex discover an old van filled with dangerous contraband, that's books from before the seclusion. The pair head on a journey to save Patricia's father and truly understand how events happening now cause this uncertain future. Atia Abawi, award-winning foreign correspondent and author of The Secret Sky and A Land of Permanent Goodbyes, calls the seclusion a terrifying glimpse into what could be at the end of the path America is on today. Castle does an amazing job transporting us into the future. Too great a job. Jackie, welcome to the show.
0: Thanks so much for having me, Landis. It's a pleasure yeah. to be here.
1: Yeah, uh, it's our second time together because we were together with the uh, North Carolina Humanities Council when we talked about the uh, book by Pablo Bacigluque on uh, on the uh, water knife. So that was fun. And That's uh, right. People, people can listen to that uh, as well if they go to the North County Manus Council website. But here, we're here today to talk about your book, The Seclusion. Uh, first of all, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Thank you so much. Before we dive into the book, I would like to talk a little bit about your publishing success with this book. You're an independently published author. Uh, why did you choose to publish independently, and are you glad that you did?
0: it's it's hard to break into the publishing world. And so this was a first book I'd never written fiction before. I have been a journalist and a copywriter for about 14 years, but this was my first kind of venture into the world of fiction. And so I was learning a lot about the different paths. I knew that I didn't want to completely self-publish because I, being a first-time author, I wanted to make sure that I had that good editorial support. And I also wanted to make sure that I had a little bit of marketing support on the other end So I ended up opting for a company called InkShares, which is a small to medium-sized indie press, and they actually run on a crowdfunding model. And so this book was crowdfunded back in 2000, I think late 2016. And um, so basically the process works that you put a few chapters up on their site, and then you run a crowdfunding campaign kind of like you would with Kickstarter or Indiegogo but the difference is that once you reach that certain threshold of pre-orders, then this publishing company steps in and publishes your book. And so I did that. I put a few chapters up. Uh, it was a very timely story, and it was well received, and ended up selling 750 copies of the book. Uh, you know what turned out to be about a year and a half before it was even published. And so it was a it was a really interesting journey. And then I'm actually. Uh, have MySQL in production with them right now as well. And that should hopefully be out this fall.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting way to go about it. Uh, you know, the, the crowdfunding approach, uh, because you get uh, a chance to work with people who've been around the block before. Who And, and you can do indie publishing in a number of different ways. Of course, you can you can hire your own editorial team, your copy editors, your cover editors. But if you're getting into it for the first time, it's probably nice to have someone who who knows what they're doing in the process.
0: Right, especially when you haven't been in that world yet, I think that if I chose now to self-publish, I would have, you know, met those people that I trust and I would have some names for editors that I would like to work with, but just getting into it at that point in time, I didn't have that community yet and so this was a great way to um to get into it and also not have to front all of the costs myself mm-hmm. and so I wanted to kind of have that support as I learned about, you know, the publishing industry and and I'm not sure what I'll do for the next series or the next book that's standalone. We'll just kind of take that one day at a time.
1: <laughs> well, and we're going to be talking when we get over to the Patreon channel listeners, uh, Jackie's going to join me there at, uh, patreon, dot com forward slash Charlotte Risk podcast. We're going to be talking about marketing, uh, book marketing outside the box, uh, because as an indie author, well, pretty much as a traditional author too, but as an indie author in the particular, you've really got to think about marketing. And so, we're going to be she's going to be sharing her uh secrets with us when we get over <laughs> there but uh Jackie you, you had uh some good recognition here Ford Indie's book of the year award winner in science fiction the 2020 indie author of the year through the indie author project now are these uh things that you kind of uh you you put your book in the mix uh and then you, you know you hope it does well is that how it works
0: Yeah, I mean, they're all kind of leaps of faith. For the Forward Indies, that is um, run by Forward Reviews magazine. And so they do kind of a contest with lots of different categories and genres. And so mine placed in the top three, which was award winner. So I think mine ended up being silver in science fiction for 2018. And, um, And then the Indie Author Project, which has just been such a ride, is actually a collaboration between Library Journal and Biblioboard, which um, is a kind of an ebook connection to libraries. And they put together this uh, contest for Indian self-published authors. And they basically looked at all the books in the state, and they picked a winner in young adult and adult fiction for each state. And then they picked an overall winner. And I was just fortunate enough to to win that prize. And so I was selected as the indie author of That's, the year and it's, okay. it's been wonderful. I've gotten to participate in a couple library journal events um, and they, they do a lot of promotion for you and help me, you know, get connected to, um, you know, to different blogs and interviews. And then also in any other year, there would probably be more live events, but we're, <laughs> this is 2020 we're in right now, but that That's has good. just been such a, such a great opportunity that, um, yeah, I just feel so honored to have achieved.
1: Yeah, that's that's great. I mean, uh, and of course your book came out in 2018, but then you're submitting to these different contests and you win, you become a winner in 2020. It really keeps your book alive, right? And uh and I'm just wondering did, did you have any idea when you started writing this that you would you would achieve those kind of results?
0: I you know, I really had no idea what what was to come. And again, I was kind of approaching it from this area of Ignorance around the publishing industry, where I was just trying to learn what was going on and um, get my feet wet and and figure out how the heck to make it in this publishing world. And so I was really open to anything, kind of any avenues that would get my book into the hands of readers. And um you know i I am kind of a I, I do have some natural marketing skills. Obviously, you cannot crowdfund unless you're comfortable with that in some respects. And so you know, I've been able to use some other different channels to kind of promote my work but just having these i guess allies in the process through the people at indie author project and and through my publisher has just been invaluable but no it's all kind of just been a shock uh, every time i've i've learned that it's achieved some kind of praise because i'm like well it's <laughs> it's my first book i'm just humbled by it. It's been wonderful.
1: And and I don't want to get too caught up in this, but when you say uh, crowdfunded, are you talking about pre-orders where they're agreeing to buy the book or are they contributing a little bit more to help fund the actual project itself?
0: So the way that Inkshares does it is it's it's not like Kickstarter where you can select your own perks. Um, It's all based on pre-orders of the book. And so there are different levels and it is generally ten dollars for an ebook, twenty for a paperback. So they're paying a little more than you would for like the the price on you know a bookstore shelf for a paperback book. So it's it's both, but then they get um you know recognition as a backer if if you could buy say three copies and you would get your name in the book. So there are a few things they try to do with that as well. And so it's just it's a nice combination approach, and it's a very um, it's been a wonderful community. I've met a lot of great people through it uh, other authors, uh, and editors. And it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been a ride. I think they are changing up their model a little bit, but they still, their whole goal is to just unearth those voices that maybe would have gotten lost, you know, in the traditional publishing world.
1: Well, speaking of rides, uh, your book, uh, took me on a ride, the seclusion. I really enjoyed reading it. Uh, you, uh, you get right down to it, uh, at the start of the book, this is uh dystopian literature. It's a world turned upside down. Um, Let's talk a little bit about the world you built. But first, uh, what is it about the mind of uh, Jackie Castle that would take us to a world like this?
0: (laughs) I ask myself that every day, Landis. (laughs) I don't really know. Um, I've always been very fascinated by... um, Let's see. I, I definitely have an interest in politics. Anyone who follows me on social media will see that very clearly. I've always been very fascinated with my background in journalism about the dissemination of misinformation and disinformation and how that can affect people. And and then also just, um, you know, I wanted to explore, I wrote this book during the primary election campaign in 2016, was kind of when I started writing it. And I just wanted to explore what a world would look like if some of these things that I was hearing came to pass. And if, um, you know, our nation really became so secluded from the rest of the world, and so nationalized that we really had no idea what was going on outside of our borders, almost kind of mirroring life in North Korea right now. And so that was kind of the main overarching premise of the book is what would it look like, you know, if America had this giant firewall on it, and all of its citizens were living in the dark, and we really just had no idea what was going on, and we were drowning in in misinformation which obviously we have plenty of right now but what if all the information we were receiving was being filtered through our government and that government was corrupt then what would that mm-hmm. really look like for a grandchild or a great grandchild living in that world and that's kind of where it started and obviously it grew as i got right. to know the characters
1: <laughs> yeah so so the year is 2090 it's america uh the country is walled off from the rest of the world uh, but it's not just one wall uh, at the southern border, uh, we've now got two walls, right? One, yeah. one to the north, one to the south. Oceans to the east and the west, uh, and a lot of propaganda. And uh, freedoms are limited by the will of the board. So there's this board, this whatever in the in the ether you, you don't know them, you can't see them, you can't touch them. Yeah. I think I think on the billboards in your book, as I recall reading, it looked like their hands on the table and just pictures of arms that come up to the elbows or something, you know, That's right. yeah. part of the board. And then there are things called compliance officers. Tell us about them.
0: So the compliance officers are, you know, I think that that's pretty common in dystopian and, and sci-fi literature kind of the jackbooted thugs, but I want right. that are keeping people in line. And so, um, yeah, that that's basically it. They're they're the law enforcement in this future world, and they they work for the board. But you know, as you start to learn as the story unfolds, is they don't really have a window into into what they're serving either, and so they're also um, not getting the full story about who their leaders are. They they have been educated in this way where, um, in this world, everyone's kind of path is chosen for them. And so it's kind of an aptitude test style scenario where people are kind of put on a path and, and given a job based on, um, you know, these aptitude scores. And so the compliance officers had no choice whether to become a compliance officer or not. And so, um, you get to know one of those characters as well and not to give too much away, but that's actually a much bigger part of book two. And okay. so right. is learning a little more about the compliance department and, and one person in particular. And so, um, yeah, that, that to me is you can't, you can't write a book with a surveillance state without a little bit of.
1: <laughs> yeah. And, and you call them compos, and and just a couple of things about the, the world itself. And then we're going to have you do a, a reading, which starts at the beginning of the book, but, uh, interesting how, you know, people are slotted into jobs, you know, children are raised by their parents, but only to a certain age. And, and then they go off for this indoctrinization, uh, this propagandizing that goes on. Uh, they embed chips in people, right? So they mm-hmm. can track them. And then there are forbidden topics. What's one of the forbidden topics?
0: A lot of history is forbidden. And so there is um, basically any anything that takes place outside of of the walls outside of America is forbidden to talk about. And then any history before this time period known as the seclusion is forbidden to talk about. And so that time period would, would have been about 2030 in the book. And so in the book, the, the Southern wall is built first, and then the Northern wall on this time period of, of the seclusion in which America is now run by a board of directors. And there's a firewall placed around our country. And then that is kind of when when the whole shift takes place where direct communication, our social media shut down, all of that, everything starts to be filtered through this kind of North Korea-esque firewall system. And yeah, so history is the big one. Um, really anything that, that questions leaders. So that's, that's another theme I think in dystopian novels as well. Right. And so obviously anything that would um, kind of reek of, of rebellion is obviously taken mm. out and then yeah no no books or art or literature really yeah. from yeah, the before
1: no, times <laughs> no 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 podcast about literature right <laughs> charlotte reader's podcast wouldn't do well in this book I don't, no. think I don't i don't think i'd have a place uh okay the book opens up and we've got a great read here to start we're going to see the wall we're going to find out what's there and we're going to we're going to hear this character's point of view who's who's patricia uh patch as her friends call friend calls her. Uh, and we're going to sort of get into her mind a little bit uh, in the way she thinks, which is because she's been raised a certain way to believe that the board uh, is something she should obey and follow and is actually protecting her. So uh, since it's the first page of the book, I don't think we need too much setup. Let's just start uh, whenever you're ready with chapter one and go for a couple of pages there.
0: All right. The wall loomed over me. The first time I laid eyes on it, I was in awe of its vastness an iconic monument stretching to the horizon in either direction, as strong and secure as its sister up north, 10 feet wide by 30 feet high by 1,954 miles long. We were told a substantial portion of it also went below ground, but for security reasons, we weren't given the exact details. The devil lies in the details, the board was fond of saying, leave the devil to us. It was widely agreed that the walls were our greatest achievement, They were a statement to the world, twin barriers that declared our country a safe zone, free from the corruption of the outside. Growing up, we were shown videos of that corruption, other nations that had succumbed to violence and famine and political upheaval. I would sit on my father's lap, his long, steady arms wrapped around me as we watched news feeds featuring the children of these countries, children who had been bombed by their own leaders, children who wandered, demolished cities, starved and covered in chemical sores. Their ribs stood out like xylophone keys. The sight of them made my stomach queasy. Then the videos would cut to the walls, and I would feel relief that I was protected from such horrors. Relief and pride. The first day I stood in the shadow of the southern wall, I wished my father could have seen it with me. What would he think? Would he be as entranced as I was? But unfortunately, he was, like most citizens, not permitted to go near the barriers. Security reasons, the board told us. Details. Now, four years later, visiting the wall had become a semi-regular part of my routine. Working beneath its shadow, the sight of it still amazed me. This thing that held us all together, that kept us safe. The vastness of it must be like seeing the ocean for the first time. Blood rushing, skin tingling, beholding something far more powerful than you will ever be. But instead of fear, there was a sense of calm, clarity, the overwhelming sense of a connection to something beyond oneself. The southern security barrier had been built 68 years prior, making it older than most manufactured products in circulation. I had a fondness for older things, artifacts, fossils, physical antiquities that had stood the test of time. And this wall had stood longer than anything or anyone I'd known. Some still wished to see for themselves what was on the other side, radicals and malcontents. They refused to believe, or perhaps they hoped, that the videos the board showed us weren't true. Maybe it was too painful for them to accept that the only thing waiting outside was a violence-ridden wasteland, that we were the last vestiges of civility. Whatever the reason, a handful of these radicals occasionally tried to challenge the wall or the board, but every time, quickly and justly, they were captured and charged with treason. Cameras had been mounted every few feet, and the surveillance drones circling overhead captured sufficient evidence. Civilian eyes almost never saw this evidence firsthand, not unless an example was to be made. We were told the radicals, and there were less of them every year, were taken to military bases to repay their debt to the country. There they would be rehabilitated into proper patriots, redeemed. I closed my eyes and rubbed the middle of my forehead. If you asked me, I'd say they got off easy. We'd all seen the videos of life on the outside. Why anyone would choose that over the security the board provided was beyond me.
1: Yeah, this is this is just a great example of us of a good start where um, you know, you know this character uh, is going to change at some point because, in all good novels, characters do. But, but, but she's going to have to come a long way because she is totally bought in to this idea that her entire existence, you know, depends upon the board, and that anyone who disputes the board or goes up against the board or tries to go outside the wall is essentially a traitor and deserves mm-hmm. the most severe punishment.
0: Yeah, yeah, she goes through a <laughs> a bit of a shift. <laughs>
1: Okay. So the book here, it's stark. You know, one of the reviewers, I think a school library journal called it a grim rise of totalitarianism. It's got a contemporary feel to it. Uh, Another reviewer said eerily prescient uh, story. Uh, It's got a touch of realism. And of course, it's got adventure. But another thing I like about what you've done here, Jackie, is it's got a little humor in it, too. Uh, I laughed out loud when I got to the part. where it said, thank the board. I made it. What, <laughs> what in board's name was I thinking board bless us all. <laughs> so they, they are sort of taught to believe that the board is their God, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and religion isn't really talked about too much in this book, but you do get the feeling that kind of the higher power is the board to these people and to mm-hmm. basically all of their media reinforces that everything that they've taught and their ideology classes, um, when they're younger, kind of reinforces that, and so they do have almost a religious appreciation of this of this group of people whose faces they've very, barely even seen, and so it's it's interesting.
1: <laughs> All right, a little bit about uh, the book cover uh, and the and the title before we jump into maybe the inciting incident what launches them on this adventure here. Um, so on the book cover, of course, you've got uh, uh, a young woman. She's standing below what uh, this very tall wall, and it's got a crack you know, down the middle of it. And, uh, so metaphorically, are we, are we portending, uh, perhaps the possibility of a way out?
0: I think (laughs) we are pretending a little bit. And she's also, um, if you look closer, kind of in a a prison-esque jumpsuit. So there's a little foreshadowing as well. Um, you know, unfortunately I didn't design my own cover. And so, um, I love the cover, but it's not something that I, you know, put a ton of effort into figuring out the symbolism of that cover that was uh, made by a cover designer through my publisher.
1: (laughs) Yeah. So it's called the seclusion, but in some respects it could be the exclusion as well. I mean, at least uh, because you're talking about keeping people out. But in this case, the wall in your book is more designed to keep people in, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a method of control. Hmm.
1: Okay. So we got uh, Patch, we've got Rex, her best friend, Amara was a former best friend, but she was arrested for noncompliance and, and Patch sort of thinks, well, she must have done something wrong, but she was the girlfriend of Rex. And then so Patch and Rex work in the same department. They're in what soil uh, examination, because of course, you know, we're we're in a dystopian time, so things have happened and the the soil is not as it should be. So they've got to test it. And they go out into the countryside um and they discover what one day.
0: So they're they, they are out into kind of an abandoned zone where they are testing the soil uh, to basically see testing the soil health in these areas around um, the urban centers, which is where everyone lives now so that they are easy to surveil. So that's a big part of the book is that a lot of America has kind of been abandoned in favor of these easy to surveil areas where everyone lives. And um, so Rex and Patch do have this kind of privilege where they are able to leave these urban areas because they work for the Natural Resource Department. And so uh, when they're on assignment one day, they stumble upon an old van in the woods. And Rex is a little bit more of a free spirit than Patch. And so he, of course, wants to go check it out. Um, He has some family history that she starts to realize later that makes him a little more suspicious of uh, the doctrine of the board. And... And so they go through this van and they start to kind of see things from our time. And I wanted it to be just kind of a nostalgic chapter of the book where the listeners are kind of recognizing the things that she is, um, you know, hinting at seeing. And so she also discovers some texts that start to make her question if everything that she's been taught is, in fact, the truth. And um, so that's kind of what sparks her, uh, I guess, inquisitiveness about Um, her world. And I also, it was important to me that she be a scientist and that that kind of be part of her arc was that the board who wants to keep things from her also trained her to be someone who follows these, uh, follows these paths and sees where they lead. And so Mm -hmm. I wanted to to make that part of her story as well.
1: Yeah. So we're in the Southwest and in this van that's uh, covered up, uh, you know, there's like a, probably a diamond's back baseball hat in there and there's Mm -hmm. a, there are other little things that we would recognize from, from our time period. And then of course there's this cache of, of books that they pull out and she's never really held a book in her hand. She hadn't even, that's not something she's accustomed to. And in fact, she can't talk about it with her parents when she comes home because everything is monitored in the homes, right? I mean, mm-hmm. everything, everything you say, uh, everything you do, I mean, there's even a monitor in the bedroom. So even private, you know, relationships or, or, somebody's watching everything you know that goes on so when they find this it sort of jars their world and they have to sort of you know she has to come to terms with it and rex is really pushing her um but if they go outside of this bubble which is this secure area they have no idea what's beyond this little bubble they've lived in right exactly
0: yeah. and and a big thread of the book was that even Even her who's trained to do her job is only trained with as much information as she needs to know. So she's trained about what goes on in her territory of the country, uh, how to study, um, you know, what she needs to do for the natural resources department. But she's not she doesn't know anything outside of her territory. And so she's never given that information.
1: One of the quotes in the book, uh, she says, I knew that fear was necessary, fear protected, fear ensured survival. Fear was the evolutionary instinct embedded in each of us, the instinct that told us to freeze when we heard a, r- a rattlesnake or halt when we came to a cliff's edge. So this environment she lived in had it, it, it sort of made everyone in it afraid to do what needed to be done, and she was seeing it as a way to protect herself, but then she had to sort of come to terms with her fear to take that next step because mm-hmm. – once she and Rex set out on their uh, on their quest, there's no turning back, right? Right.
0: No, they are now in, in the eyes of the board traders and would have been in her past selves eyes as well. And so that's kind of an yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah. And so I'm not going to get, we're not going to give away anything that happens, you know, once they launch into their journey, because it's really interesting, you know, how they try to find their way through this territory that they know nothing about and, and sort of the you know, the people they meet and what they come across and the new things they learn. I think it's interesting, Jackie, you know, I was asking these questions about this event. You're writing the sequel right now. It's very easy probably to get confused between what you've (laughs) written in the second book and what what happened in the first book.
0: It is. And, you know, I am, I think because most authors know this if you're an author who's listening is that your your book changes a lot you know so your book is very different from the first version that you wrote to the last version that you wrote into what eventually makes it on shelves and I'll sometimes have to go back and be like how did I how did I actually reconcile that I don't remember there was a time one of those ridiculous moments where I had to just laugh at myself where I spent an entire afternoon writing a scene for a character who was no longer alive
1: (laughs) Yeah, that that I had that experience when we put uh, my three Christmas books on audiobooks this uh, summer, and I had to listen to them, of course, proof them, and that kind of thing. And I'm listening, I'm getting into it, and I'm thinking, God, I wonder what's going to happen next. You know, <laughs> I, it's been a couple of years since I since yeah. I wrote this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, um, so it is fun. It's it's a good, uh, you know. It's it's I don't always often read dystopian as much, but I enjoy it. I watch, you know, I watch the stuff on TV, but this one is sort of psychologically dystopian. It's not Mad Max running around kind of thing, but they're trying to figure out, you know, and use their, their guile and their wits to try to, you know, make their way through this uh, territory. Let's talk in the few minutes we have left about writing life. Um, you, um, you mentioned that you're a professional freelance writer. You're of course, now a novelist, you're writing, working on your, your second book now. And I'm just, I'm curious, what did you learn in writing your debut novel um, that sort of shook up your world and helped you figure out maybe how to write better when it got to be time to write your sequel? Hmm.
0: Well, I am I'm definitely following the, the Panzer camp as far as Panzer versus Plotter. And so I, I'm kind of one of those authors that is, really needs to talk myself into outlining. Hmm. <laughs> That is not my strong suit. I tend to uh, get an idea for a scene and then write the scene, even if, if we're not to that point in the novel. And then I go back and it's kind of a puzzle trying to figure out how to get the characters, you know, through these scenes that I've written. And I, I've had to, you know, realize that, 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 at least for me, I know some authors can really do that, that long-term I need to find an, a middle ground. Um, and so I've, I've been working really hard to, um, at least get the beats of my story figured out before I start to write, and I have two other books that are in draft version as well, and i've I've noticed a much better tendency to to just wrap my head around story arc um know the major beats that I need to hit. Um, I definitely am much better at at showing and not telling now i I will readily admit to anyone who asks that because of my journalism background, the first draft of the seclusion. Read like a giant info dump, and I had to go back and figure out okay, how do I how do I connect my reader to these characters? How do I show them what's going on rather than just you know having a, a giant a narrative information debacle? And so that that's been a really wonderful learning experience is trying to figure out how to take those strengths from nonfiction while also just letting some things go that were a little ingrained in me that don't really make fiction stronger.
1: Yeah, I understand what you're talking about. When I wrote my first book, it was uh, very much a pantsing affair. But then I, I have gravitated to what I'm calling, I'm now calling myself a pants liner. So uh, <laughs> it's kind of that middle ground, you know, and, yeah. and I, and I found that, you know, being a very visual person that when I use Scrivener, and I can see the chapter folders down the left side, uh, and I can sort of see it in my head, you know, a little bit better Then I could go, right. I can write a scene that's toward the end and then go back and work on something at the beginning. If I feel like it, right. Right. And that's that's probably what what you enjoy doing too, because if it, if it strikes you and it's time to write it, write it. Yeah.
0: Well, and I think that's it is, is I, I don't want to like deny that part of me because I feel like that's something that does keep me motivated. Is that ability to kind of just follow the characters where they might lead me. Um, But it also does help to just have some some moments that i know i need to be working towards. Mm, yeah. and so there's a lot of freedom within those moments but just to kind of say okay this is this is the theme this is these are the beats i want to hit. um and it can change but just make sure i'm not writing myself into a corner as much as i used to because there there were the amount of of work that got thrown out in my first book versus my second just aren't it's not even comparable. i i probably rewrote um at least 70% of the seclusion is a a totally different story from where it started. And the sequel was, the plot was pretty much there from the first draft, even though the characters have changed a little bit. And so that was a big (laughs) experience, learning experience for me.
1: I'm sure that part of that has to do with the fact that you, you sort of position this uh, as a continuation story. So you've already set the foundation through all that work and now you're going to be taking them to other places. And it sounds to me interestingly that you're going to be adding uh more depth with the uh the the capos, you know, the people mm-hmm. that are trying to enforce, uh, which will be good because we can see into the mind see into the mind of them as well. Yeah. Okay. So so you learned a little bit about uh, you're you're still kind of a pantser, but you you've learned maybe to think about structure as you go through it, right? That's right. Yeah. Uh, so how many books are there going to be in this series?
0: This is just going to be two, so we toyed with the idea of making it three, but once we did the sequel, it, it does have a. It's got a very satisfying ending. Uh, we were really happy with it, and I'm kind of ready to to move on to the next thing. Um, okay. I'm I'm very excited about the sequel. I think that fans of the first book are going to find it very satisfying. It's written in a different way than the first book, so it's actually written from three different points of view, mm-hmm. because patches, um, kind of. Uh, her insight into the world is kind of limited in the second book in a different way than it was from the first. And so we get to see different characters kind of navigating this world as well. And, um, but yeah, so this will just be two. And then I have another one that I'll, I'll probably start querying by the summer, which is kind of a science fiction just but near a closer dystopian, um, that involves a congressional intern and a NASA scientist. And, um, there's basically it's a little deceptive. There's a there's a big deception scheme going on. So we'll see.
1: <laughs> well, I'm not going to reveal because I know how this book ends. You know why I think I understand the need for several point of views going forward. We'll leave that to to, <laughs> pick, to figure out. But I think yeah. that's pro- probably a good good reason to have that uh, technique when you do it. All right. So um, one last question before we do it. Let me ra- remind listeners that we're going to jump over. Uh, to Patreon to talk about book marketing outside the box. This is where we provide exclusive content to our supporters. Those of you who help us uh, help authors give voice to the written words, uh, as little as $5 a month, you can come join us and get access to over 50, uh, 50 exclusive episodes and more coming like this one we're going to do with Jackie. Now the great thing is I'm going to learn stuff and you're going to learn stuff. So come join us. But uh, so Jackie, uh, so tell us uh, just in your final thoughts here, um, why do you write?
0: Why do I write? That's a big question, Landis. Yeah,
1: um,
0: I feel like that I, I'm a very scatterbrained person. I I am. I get distracted incredibly easy, easily, and I feel like writing just kind of helps me organize my thoughts, whether that's nonfiction writing or fiction writing, um, and just exploring, exploring some of my fears, even and what if questions about the world through fiction has just been very cathartic for me, and so that's kind of what drives me is just playing with those those what ifs that are floating around in my head all the time. And just, um, you know, being a little bit in control of that has Mm -hmm. been, has been a really neat experience.
1: Yeah. Well, I love pulling for these characters in this book and uh, look forward to, to seeing the sequel and uh, seeing what happens uh, to this world and finding out uh, what those board members look like above their elbows.
0: That's right. We will get a closer, a closer look, especially at one of them. (laughs)
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, Jackie, thanks so much for being a part of Charlotte Reader's podcast. Thank you, Landis. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio,